Hi, I'm Elizabeth Kramer from the Sydney Southeast Asia Centre here at the University of Sydney and with me today is Ho Young Lok who will be talking to us about the country of Singapore and is here for our Politics and Action event for 2019. Hi Ho Young, how are you? Hi, uh, thanks very much for having me here. Uh, before we begin, would you be able to give us a little bit of uh, background about yourself and tell us about your interest in Singaporean politics? Sure, I'm currently a um, independent researcher uh, based in London. I research on uh, opposition politics in Singapore uh, and I'm working on a book currently on the history of the Singapore opposition for the past um, 40 or so years and I also have a background in um, think tanks working on international affairs particularly on European Union and Asia relations. Fantastic, so my first question for you is could you give us a bit of a lowdown um, on who's who in Singaporean politics at the moment, both on the government side and on the opposition side? Sure. We start with the ruling People's Action Party, the PAP, uh, which has been in power since 1959, um, around the time of Singapore's independence. Uh, the party has just selected its candidate for the next Prime Minister, Heng Swee Keat, um, after a relatively long uh, period of, uh, of a leadership race of sorts. Um, the, the, the guy selected is Heng Swee Keat, currently the finance minister. Uh, he was recently, just this month, May 2019, uh, appointed deputy prime minister. And he's likely to take over from the current prime minister, Lee Hsien Loong, um, after the next general election, which we are expecting sometime perhaps later this year or next. On the opposition side, uh, we also have seen a leadership transition. Um, Pritam Singh has become the leader of the Workers' Party, uh, the only opposition in Parliament currently. And, and this is quite significant to me. Uh, it's the first time there has been a rather smooth leadership transition in the opposition, whereas we have had a um, history of intra-opposition strife, um, a lot of infighting. So I think this, this says something about the consolidation of um, the Workers' Party as the parliamentary opposition in Parliament. And when we talk about opposition in the Singaporean Parliament, what proportion of Parliament are we talking about here? Um, how many seats do they hold compared to the ruling party? We're really talking about around nine seats compared to um, the government's party of around 80 to 83. Uh, however, that doesn't really conform to the popular vote that they get at elections. So the opposition tends to get around 30 to 40% of the popular vote. The PAP, the ruling PAP, um, 60 to 70. So that the seats don't really um, correspond to the popular vote that they get. And you mentioned the People's Action Party before as the dominant party um, since 1959. And there must be a lot of reasons for this, but surely um, uh, a weak opposition has allowed the PAP to, to retain the kind of power that it has up until now. So can you tell me a little bit about the current state and maybe the history of the political opposition? Um, you mentioned that there's been quite a smooth transition this time, but that hasn't been the case in the past. So could you give us some uh, details about that? The opposition scene has been uh, a very fragmented one for a very long time, consisting generally of a, of a handful of uh, very small parties. Um, the, the victory of the opposition coalition in Malaysia uh, last year um, sort of provided an inspiration, if you will, for the opposition in Singapore to, to form their own coalition. Um, however, that, that effort seems to be now dead in the water. It doesn't seem to be happening. Um, because of um, uh, personality clashes, um, 
uh, clashes of their interests. Um, there have been opposition coalitions in the past um, in Singapore, but those didn't end really well too. So not a very um, uh, a promising climate for, for opposition coalitions to become more consolidated and stronger. But it's easy to forget that uh, the opposition workers' party in parliament is not part of any of these coalition-building efforts. And, and that's partly because it feels vindicated that uh, it has won its seats without being uh, engaged in these uh, messy politics of coalition building. Um, now, why is the opposition, uh, well, opposition quite weak in Singapore? Um, many reasons also, um, because of uh, laws, very restrictive laws that um, restrict their uh, funding, um, how they can get funds. Um, also, you hear a lot of um, the sort of climate of fear uh, in Singapore for any potential candidates for the opposition parties. Um, there was a history earlier on of um, uh, arrests without detention for um, suspected Marxists and subversion, um, subverts to, to the state order. Uh, that was a bit in the past, but more currently we have um, situations where uh, because of defamation suits, um, opposition parties are careful to speak up or even to stand for elections. Mm, so it appears that the PAP doesn't, uh, although the opposition um, has consolidated a little bit and has had this smooth transition, it's not something that the PAP needs to be too concerned about in the upcoming election? Or would you say that there is a concern there? The PAP never really needs to be concerned about uh, being voted out of office. Uh, it is, however, very concerned uh, whenever it loses even a seat or two, and because it, it thinks, it believes that uh, it sort of creates a snowball effect. So it would be very concerned even if it loses a seat or two. Okay. And um, aside from these... I, I suppose, external um, threats or, or pressures. What kinds of dynamics are there within the PAP at the moment and what kinds of challenges are they facing um, as a party? It's probably got to do mainly with the leadership transition that's happening right now. Um, they would obviously want the, the new leader when he becomes prime minister to retain the PAP's popularity. Um, but also the thing to keep in mind is that um, the really popular candidate amongst voters, and there were some surveys being done in this regard, the really popular candidate was someone else who didn't get chosen as the um, next Prime Minister. And, and who, that, who was this popular candidate? And this was a Taman Shamugaratnam. Um, he was the Finance Minister previously, then Deputy Prime Minister until um, this month. Um, he is a very widely respected person, even on the international stage. Um, he, you see him a lot at uh, G20 meetings, um, IMF meetings, so a very um, technocratically gifted person, but also very charismatic. Um, also, um, he had the best vote share of any candidate, including the PAP, um, at the last election, and his vote share actually better than the Prime Minister. So you would wonder why someone like that wasn't chosen um, as the next Prime Minister. The official reason given is that um, because he is not of Chinese descent, and that the PAP says that Singapore is not ready for a non-Chinese Prime Minister, although more recently is, is a more nuanced explanation that the older generation of Singaporeans are not ready for a non-Chinese Prime Minister. Um, to me, that is a bit of a disturbing um, um, view to take. Um, but I think the real reason could be that uh, Taman Shomogaratnam has more is more independently minded in how he wants um, uh, the PAP perhaps to reform itself. So in terms of some of the other leadership transition issues. Um, uh, there is this um, this very popular deputy 
PM who's been ousted and replaced with someone who's uh, a little bit more um, compliant, perhaps. Um, are there any other transitional challenges within the party? There's no other. This is probably the, the main uh, transitional challenge. The other challenge, perhaps, um, was uh, something that flared up two years ago. And that is when uh, the current Prime Minister's um, siblings uh, uh, were involved in a very public feud with him. Uh, so some background, uh, the current Prime Minister, Lee Hsien Long, um, is the son of the first Prime Minister, the founding Prime Minister, if you will, Mr. Lee Kuan Yew. Um, and two years ago, a feud erupted with his siblings um, over the issue of whether his father's house should be demolished. Um, so it was something to do with uh, what was Lee Kuan Yew's real wish. Uh, but what happened in the process was that the siblings actually accused the Prime Minister um, of harboring political ambitions for his son, which would then mean that there would be a third generation uh, from the Lee family who would be possibly um, Prime Minister of Singapore. The siblings of the Prime Minister do not want that to happen. Um, and so this, um, for the first time in Singapore, uh, seems to be quite a, um, a, a big piece of drama, if you will, in otherwise very uh, predictable Singapore politics. So uh, if this drags on into the next election that's coming up soon, um, it could provide some sort of, uh, how shall we say, it could provide some sort of uh, issues for the PAP to want to um, handle better. Okay. Um, I'm also interested in this issue that's caught some international attention outside of Singapore, um, and that is the anti-fake news now, you've argued that this bill probably isn't of critical concern to most Singaporeans. Um, but even so, would you be able to outline for us why it could be viewed as controversial? Indeed, uh, the bill, which is to give it its full name, the Protection from Online Falsehoods and Manipulation Bill, um, which was just passed earlier this month, just about two weeks ago, uh, May 2019, was very controversial and to me very troubling. Um, so what does it do? It gives all government ministers, government ministers, uh, broad and very arbitrary powers to demand correction, remove content, block web pages, and uh, the violations of the law uh, could be punishable with a maximum ten-year jail term, and also fines of up to one million dollars, one million Singapore dollars, uh, according to these uh, reports and what was in the bill. Uh, the, the key issue here, perhaps, is that uh, the bill and now the law gives ministers discretion to make the final decision as to what constitutes fake news. And the opposition has argued that um, this should be decided by the courts uh, rather than by um, the politicians. But the government's uh, response has been that that would be too inefficient, uh, say in, in the event of a very fast-moving election where you need to take down fake news. Uh, but basically, it's, it's very hard to define what fake news is in the bill. Um, and what's very worrying to me was um, uh, what the government indicated as uh, examples of what they considered to be fake news. Just for example, they said that uh, it would be fake news to say that the government practices double standards on, say, a, a given policy. That would be fake news. But it would not be fake news, according to the government, if you were to say that uh, there are different permit regimes for the same issue that leads to these double standards. So very technical uh, kind of uh, and nuance. very nuanced. Very nuanced, yes. Um, probably will not be understood by much of the population. Uh, the, the the result is probably um, you will just be less likely to speak speak up online, and you just um, keep your, your opinions to yourself. Um, 
the, the law minister who introduced this bill in parliament has compared it to other similar bills on anti-fake news, uh, on, on fake news in other countries. He mentioned, I think, particular France and Germany. Uh, but the bills in those countries uh, were more targeted at, I think, social media giants. And so it, it, it needed kind of legal might to compel, say, uh, I think Facebook to, to take some action to take down uh, fake news posts. Uh, but that's not really the case uh, in the Singapore bill. I think the Singapore bill is more, sing more similar to other uh, anti-fake news bills in Southeast Asia, Malaysia, which was actually just um, uh, taken out recently. Uh, but I think, I believe also others in Vietnam and I think the Philippines. And perhaps more targeted at individuals rather at than, individuals too, indeed. than corporations like Facebook or Twitter. That's right. Well, that's all we have time for t uh, this afternoon. So thank you so much for joining me. Thanks for your time. Thank you, Liz. Good to be here.